Good morning, everybody. Good to see you, and uh, I'm taking one little step at a time. Uh, actually, no steps at a time. I'm six weeks no load-bearing until uh, all this gets fixed up, and so if you're just joining us, uh, I had some ACL surgery. They got in there. They had to fix some other things. I woke up thinking I was going to be four to six days before I was walking, and Doctor said, actually, six weeks, no walking, and then we'll see what's next. So uh, we're going we're gonna to take it one day at a time. Uh, in the meantime, my wife has been an incredible nurse, and uh, especially the sponge baths. Uh, no, that's a joke. That's a joke. No sponge. She's like, you're an idiot. Why did you just say that? I don't know. I did take a pain pill last night, so I don't know what I'm going to say today. Moving on. Hey, today, I am, I am very uh, proud of this book. Uh, it's taken a lot of effort. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit inspired, I feel this, uh, this timing of this book, especially with the launch, as we get into a uh, crazy town with another political season upon us, an election season, uh, Christians uh, need to make the difference. Christians need to make a difference in their world. And the messages I want to share during this series are actually not in the book. The book stands on its own. Uh, so you can pick, you say, I'll just listen to the series. Uh, these are, I'm going to be preaching something completely different. And then this is like a hand guide. It's like a, a handbook for everyday living in the life uh, of a Christ follower. So uh, I believe they're on sale for $18, but you know what? If you can't pay that, pay what you can. If you can't pay anything, uh, consider it a gift. All of the proceeds, 100% of the proceeds go towards launching our next campuses. And so uh, it's uh, so proud of what God is doing. And Duncan Dieball, we're working right now to get a free copy because of the generosity of everybody at all of our locations. Duncan and Dieball, we're looking at getting you a free copy in your hands. So hang tight, hang tight. I'm gonna toss that to you. That's yours, I'll sign it later. <laughs> it's for sale for 18. If I sign it, it's worth like 18. Okay, <clears throat> hey, let's jump in. Um, it feels like every sermon I preach is like a rhino in a shoebox, uh, and this is no different. So if you're going to take notes, take some notes. If you're not a note taker, that's okay. Get a pen and just write stuff down. Okay, here we go. What does it look like to be good in tension? How do you find a healthy balance in a culture that wants to invite you to the extremes of things? The truth is life is full of tensions. Tensions around you, tensions in you, uh, tensions that you have to navigate. When it comes to you and me, we have this, this tightrope that we walk between the real life and the ideal life, what I thought it was gonna look like and what it looks like. This tension between work life and home life. How do I find work life, home life balance? And I tell you, I'm, I'm learning a whole lot more about balance, but can I tell you that balance is a myth? When you stand up on one leg, by the way, you're not balancing on one leg. You are doing every, everything in your body is trying to counterbalance, counterbalance. And we have to figure out how to counterbalance work life and work time and home life and home time. Hey, here's one that almost doesn't even sound like attention, limits and boundaries. At the surface, it can sound like the exact same thing. But limits and boundaries are all about actions and choices. Limits are self-imposed on my own actions and my own choices, I put a governor on them. Boundaries are about actions and choices that I self-impose on someone else. So I, I have to have my own limits, but I also have to have some healthy boundaries. Does that make sense? And we have to navigate those tensions. 
Hey, spending money and saving money. I know we got some nerds in the house that you love to save. And we got some free spirits in the house. You like to, woohoo! And then you do that math. It's like, well, it was 30% off and it was originally this. So I saved like a bunch. I actually made money on this thing. Whenever you have a garage, my wife has garage sales. We made so much money. No, we didn't. You know how many thousands of dollars we just gave away for like 200 bucks? <laughs> Moving on. Right choices and wrong choices. That's still a tension in us. We do what we don't want to do, Paul says. But even there, we can see a deeper tension when you and I face right choices and right choices. It's not that it's between what is right and what is wrong. It's that do we take the promotion and move out of state and uproot our family or do we keep where we are and all the things that are comfortable and get lost in the company's grid? Where do we navigate that tension? Really, navigating tension, you can even see the, the illustration. Navigating tension can feel like walking a tightrope. And how do you find that counterbalance? Actually, when we first started dreaming about this series, I, I, I was going to put a tightrope across here and I was going to walk across. I was going to learn how to, t no, I'm lying. I'm not going to do that. I was going to say, but my whole leg situation kept me from doing it. No, no, my, my wife and, and, and uh, common sense kept me from doing that uh, to, to learn how to tightrope walk. But I did ask AI, I did ask ChatGPT this question. I want to learn how to walk a tightrope. Please give me step-by-step -step instructions. And you know what ChatGPT said? Walking a tightrope, skill that requires balance, concentration, a fair amount of courage. It's a complex process to master. Here's a step-by-step -step guide to get you started. So if you've ever wanted a tightrope, I'm going to give you the instructions, and you can get out there on your backyard, on, on the, uh, just start small, but you can get started today. Here's how you walk a tightrope, which I think is some good lessons on how to navigate tension that we're going to unpack over the next few weeks. Step one, learn to balance. <laughs> step two, get the right equipment. Sounds good, chat GPT so far. Practice getting on the rope. Okay, don't just like get out there and do it. Practice getting on the rope. Walk step by step. Don't run. <laughs> Walk. When it comes to a tightrope, you got to practice regularly. And I love the sixth step, safety first. You know, I would think that chat GPT would put safety first, not at sixth. But here's the seventh one, which I think is even worse than safety first. Seek professional guidance. And I don't mean if they think like seek professional help, counseling, and therapy because you're off your rocker. No, it means like go to somebody who knows what they're doing. Go to somebody who has already navigated a tightrope. Go to someone who's got some like, you know, flesh in the game that understands what it feels like to navigate, to have to ratchet up or slow down, to have to pick up or let go in this way of life. And this is the beauty of Jesus we get to become followers of Jesus because he has navigated every single tension of life. He does not give you life from overlooking the walls of heaven. He leaves heaven and takes on earth and walks every tightrope you and I would ever walk to show you what it's like. To give you professional guidance to follow me, the Paul, Apostle Paul would say, as I follow Christ. Because Christ shows us how to navigate between the real and the ideal. Jesus, just some of the tightropes that he navigated perfectly, is he was born fully human and yet fully divine. He could call fire down and yet instead he would cry out, Father, forgive them. 
They know not what they do. He could walk on water and yet he allows himself the lashes from the whip. He is a lion and he's a lamb. He's the king. There is power in his mouth and in his paw. And also he's approachable and he's a sacrifice. And he is led to a slaughter. He is the cosmic king and yet he becomes and takes on the very nature of the ultimate servant. The author John will unpack Jesus and will say, hey, he is 100% full, full of grace and full of truth. He's not 50% grace and 50% truth. He's 100% of both. So because of that, we can experience his grace and he washes the feet of sinners. But if we stop there, we don't understand his truth that he also calls us to leave our life of sin. You may have, if you've been on algorithms in the right way, there was a Super Bowl commercial called He Gets Us, put Jesus on a Super Bowl commercial. And there were all kinds of Christians on this side saying, oh, that's right. And others over here saying, this is not, this is not right. And how do you navigate the tension of understanding that conversation? And I just, I mean, pop the popcorn, you know, the whole gif of, of Michael Jackson in the movie theater eating the popcorn. I just sit back and just engage because we, it's hard to put all of Jesus into 30 seconds, isn't it? <laughs> the truth is Jesus walks the tightrope of who he is. And then we are also trying to figure out who we are, of who he has called us to be and who we are right now. So let's talk about Christ followers for a minute. You, you and I, we are to be knowers of God's word. Now listen, if you're investigating the claims of Christ today, uh, you kicking the tires. You've not, you've not said, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. That may be new to you. We built this church with you in mind. Like we want this to be a, a safe place you can find and follow Jesus and investigate the claims and not be okay. Like, 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 like struggle with this. That's good. You ought to navigate that tension. We want to help you do that. But if you're a Christ follower, you don't get to like um, opt out, okay? You don't get to push away from these tensions to not be just knowers of the God's word, but doers of God's word. To also be able to understand that which you see, but also know that God is working behind the scenes and there is that which is unseen, which the Bible would say is even more real. The supernatural is more real and eternal than what you see because that, that'll burn up someday, we are called to be the tension between wise as serpents, harmless as doves. It doesn't get quite uh, as opposite as serpents and doves. You know, I've seen some doves thrown at some weddings. I've even seen some doves tried to be thrown at some funerals. And, 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 and I've never seen serpents thrown at either. Um, <laughs> although there would be some funerals that there were some serpents going around, I promise you. And some weddings. We are supposed to be as Christ followers, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to our anger. But also, even though we're quick to listen and slow to speak, Peter will say later that we're always be to be ready to answer why you believe. So quick to listen and slow to speak, what has happened in our culture is we've kind of dumbed down and quieted ourselves and muzzled our voice, and yet we're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and yet we're also to be ready in season and out to give an answer for the hope that you have in Christ, Christ follower. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And the world we live in, or the culture we live in, let's, 
Let's talk about that tension. Let me ask you a question about the culture wherein you live right now. In these United States of America, do you think, let me ask you a question, do you think we are moving closer to God? Or do you think we're moving further away from God? How many think of this culture that we know we're moving closer to God? How many of you feel that maybe we're moving further away from God? Okay, wow. This is a, there's some that you, you, you remained absent from the vote. Uh, I didn't see too many people say we're getting closer to God. I want you to think of culture like, like circles around a target. Out here, it's chaos, isn't it? We are living in a crazy culture, chaotic, unchrist, anti-Christ culture. But that's not the only culture that you get to experience. Can I tell you that across the world, the message of Jesus is exploding. So don't get so narrow-minded to our culture that you don't see the tension that God is still having his way across the world. Christianity is the fastest growing faith in the world. People are getting saved every single second of every single day because people are still on mission with God. It's good. But when you take it down and you get to nations and continents and into cities and to regions and into communities and into neighborhoods and into your own house, I want to ask you, is your house moving closer to God? Is your house moving further away from God? Is your heart, the culture of your heart, moving closer to God? Moving further. So, so often we want to be about fixing the United States. We want to be about fixing the tension of the culture between the red and the blue, the conservative and the liberal. And we haven't even taken time to deal with our own home, our own beliefs, our own tensions, our own children. I mean, we are like keyboard warriors when it comes to drag queens teaching in libraries, which we'll get to, which we'll get to. And yet, we're not even praying with our own kids on a consistent basis. Do we feel the tension? And all of this, we have the Spirit of God that is wooing people to Himself. But the truth is, there's also the Spirit of darkness. The Spirit of darkness that wants to steal, the enemy, Satan Himself, that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What we see is attention. You can write it down in your notes. Whatever God creates, whatever the spirit of God wants to create, okay, Satan wants to counterfeit it. Every time God creates, Satan counterfeits. God creates, he says, you're free, Adam and Eve. Enjoy, eat from every tree except that one tree. There's a boundary. You are free is what he says to them. The enemy comes in like a form of a snake and says, did God really say you must not. Now, he did say you must not, but he counterfeits this thing to say, don't worry about what he's saying. You can be God. He wants to give them a counterfeit faith, not of God, but faith in themselves, faith in their own truth, faith in their own way, faith in their own wisdom. Do you know that's why it was called the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because we weren't even designed to have to deal with the knowledge of good and evil. We were just designed to deal with the knowledge of a good God that would take care of good and evil. If we would just trust God, he could take care of it. He would guide us. But instead, we wanted to take matters in our own hands, and it's a counterfeit kingdom the enemy wanted to set up. So we're to be understanding the way of the word of God, 
and also be able to navigate the way of the world, which is a counterfeit way. A lot of people trying to get the love through the way of the world, trying to get through hope to the way of the world, trying to get to significance through the way of the world, trying to get to acceptance through the way of the world, trying to get to prominence to the way of the world, trying to get to stability through the way of the world. And throughout scripture, it doesn't really say it this way, but symbolically, there's a, there's a symbolism, there's a shadowing of this all throughout the scripture. 280 different times, we hear about this place called Babylon. From Genesis to Revelation, it is mentioned 280 times. We could go through all of those, but we don't have time. But what we will do is over the next three weeks, we're going to set up in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, I've looked for other illustrations, but I want to come back, especially in this election year at the beginning of the cycle, and I want to look at a very interesting story that also is a foreshadowing of how our culture navigates and how our culture leans away and kind of lopsides off the tightrope into a perverted culture. The book of Daniel, really, you can write it down. Daniel is a case study on how to be good intention. You want to walk the tightrope? You need professional guidance? Let's go to Daniel. All of these stories in the Bible are not just stories for practical application. They lead us to Jesus, and Jesus is the answer to every single problem. Until we understand that, that Jesus will always be the answer to every single problem. He is your first go-to. He is not, Jesus, take the wheel. He's like, Jesus, I want to make sure you're driving. Jesus, you're driving. I'm going to follow your guidance. You're the pilot. Jesus is my co-pilot. Why would you have the greatest pilot in the world be your co-pilot? But yet there's a tension. He says we're to lean on him, but we're also to be bold and take steps and be strong and courageous. Let's talk about the kingdom of Babylon for a second. We're going to unpack the next three weeks, stories from the book of Daniel. Then the final three weeks of this series, we're going to look at different topical stories throughout the New Testament, how God deals with these tensions. Let's start with Babylon. Let's start with Daniel. Daniel chapter one. Daniel is a Israeli and the Israelites are about to be conquered. The nation that God chose is about to be conquered. Here's what happens. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, by the way, do you know how I learn how to pronounce these correctly? Is I just fake it. So Jehoiakim, I don't know, it may not be that, but if you sound confident in it, that's the way it is. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in his third year of the reign, okay, Judah is is part of the capital of, of Israel, one of the capitals. Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. Catapults and arrows and battering rams uh, into the gates. And the Lord, this is attention, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, King of Judah, into his, Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God, the holy, precious things that were in the temple of God, from the Ark of the Covenant to the lampstands to the basins, They took siege of those holy covenant articles, okay? It would be like somebody taking a a, a cross and and pulling it uh, off the steeple of the Lufkin location and just like, you know, um, vandalizing it and burning it or just taking it and, you know, whatever, putting it in their living room. It'd be hard to fit. (laughs) Scripture says these he carried off to the temple of his own God in Babylon, in Babylonia, and they put the treasure house of his, put him in the treasure house. Do you see that there's a shift now of here's where you're going to worship. Your God is going to bow down to our God. Your articles that are important to you, your your pieces 
of faith are, are not gonna be as important as our pieces of faith, and they're just gonna be one of the things, and we're gonna gel in, we're gonna mix in to what our faith system is. We're not gonna throw it away, but we're gonna mix it in to our temple. Question, why would God create a nation and then allow it to be destroyed? He creates this nation. I'm going to pull you out of Egypt from slavery to them. I'm going to make you own nation. And then hundreds of years later, about 490 years later, they become captives and enslaved again to Babylon. Why would that happen? That feels, how do we navigate that tension? I can show you in Hebrews, God disciplines those he loves. Nobody, kids and adults alike, don't like discipline. Nobody likes discipline at the beginning. But when we see the responsibility of it and we see what it produces, then we, we appreciate the discipline in hindsight. But it's very hard for us to appreciate it in front, in, in front of us. And that's exactly what he's having. Here, here's basically one of the issues that Israel had of why they were taken captive. They were supposed to rest every seven years. That sounds so simple, but it was one of the great commandments. One of the ten commandments, keep the Sabbath. And also, every seven years, they were not to produce. They were to, to chill out and just enjoy and let God be their source every seven years. And guess what they didn't do? They didn't rest. They didn't follow God on this command. And so, they disobeyed for 490 years because they felt like, we, we can't afford to take a year off. We can't afford to tithe one year out of seven. We can't afford it. So what happens? They're in captivity now for 70 years. Now, if you do the math, 70 times seven is 490. Had they just given him back one year every seven years, they would have learned the lesson. But instead, now God is gonna use captivity to show them you're gonna have to rest and rely on me because you're not gonna be able to have, you're not gonna be in charge of all the kingdom, you're not gonna be in charge of all the rules, you're not gonna be in charge of all the city streets, you're gonna have to learn how to trust in me when, when, when someone else is in charge. Hello, Republicans. Hello, Democrats. Hello, anybody in between. And we get so frantic and off-center when our guy doesn't win or does win. And yet Jesus, sometimes he disciplines those he loves. Either way. Now, here are three things that the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of darkness, wants to do in any culture, including this culture right now. Write them down. Here's the first one. First one is the kingdom of Babylon wants to rule you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But what he'll start with is stealing. It's a slow burn with the enemy. And the enemy just doesn't want to wipe you out. What he would love to do is because he doesn't know the day or the hour where God's going to make it all right in the second coming of Christ. In the meantime, if he can cause as much disruption as possible, he knows he can't wipe us out because God has a plan. But what he can do is try to rule on this earth as much as possible in the spirit of darkness. And what we see is the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. These were royalty. These were, these were people of nobility. And the king's not slitting their throats. He's saying, no, 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 no. Actually, what he does, he doesn't slit their throats. In Babylonian culture, these men would have been castrated. They would have been kept from the ability to produce their own families because their family is the king. They would have been castrated and put in the royal family for them to only serve the king. That was the only family they were called to serve now. 
Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, sounds like the teenagers and the, the, the young kids at Timber Creek Church, all of our locations. Quick to understand, qualified to serve in the counterfeit palace. They had understood the real palace, now they're gonna have to serve in the counterfeit palace. Can I say something to you, whether you realize it or not, that you need to realize sooner than later? This kingdom is coming after your kids. It, it, it's, it, could be looked, it could look like bigotry and, 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 and prejudice uh, and, and, and hatred to say, I don't think drag queens should be teaching little kids in public school at the library hour. And so all we hear is the yelling and the, and the, stamp, the stomping of feet this is an indoctrination of kids' minds into something that is a counterfeit of what God has meant and designed from since the beginning of creation. You can say it this way. This culture's coming after your kids. Coming after your kids. And it isn't a tidal wave yet, but it is a slow drip. I mean, people are like, oh, it's a Disney movie. I get it. I watch Disney. I got Disney Plus. You're not boycotting Disney. I don't know if I can attend this church. Okay. Okay, I figured out how to navigate the tension, but I also will tell you that there has been a slow drip even into cartoons, even into sitcoms, even into every day, single life, every single show, every single Grammys, every single, there is a drip of Satan's counterfeit culture that would love to get you off balance and you not even realize not even realize, whoa, you look back and you've been walking a completely different tightrope. It's not been about in the world and of the world. It's been about you've been in the world completely and now you're navigating the culture of what they say is right or wrong versus what God says is right or wrong. And the kingdom of Babylon wants to rule you. You being a little overboard? No, I'm not, I'm not being strong enough. But I can't be strong enough for you, dad of the house. You got to stand up. Moms that don't have that dad in the house, this is part of the power and importance of being in community like this. This is the power and importance of men serving in kids, kid works and in TC youth. Across our locations, men holding open doors it's not just red carpet, everybody. It's even showing that men can model servanthood, which has been lost in this culture. I got a roll. I got 87 slides in 13 minutes, so you better hang on for dear life. Number two, write it down. The kingdom of Babylon wants to train you. The enemy not only wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but the best way he can do that is have you destroyed while you're still alive. Have you killed who God has called you to be? Slit the, the, the future of your God-given potential. Steal that from you, and then you begin to hand that down from generation to generation. He wants to train this culture in his ways, which are counterfeit ways. And it's exactly what we see in a very simple thing, but important thing in this story. He was to teach them, this Ashpenaz chief official, he was gonna teach these young royal men that are now slaves, castrated eunuchs in the king's palace, 
the language and literature of the Babylonians. The language and the literature of the Babylonians. I wonder how many songs you and I know just by it being an atmosphere that if we were to align the words of those songs versus the word of the Lord, how many of those, me included everybody, me included, how many more songs do I know that would more fit the culture of a Babylon than fit the culture of God's word? We swung the pendulum. Used to be, ain't no, we ain't doing that. We ain't gonna go to picture shows. And we swung the pendulum because we were all truth and no grace. And now our challenge is churches have swung it all the way over to all grace and not a whole lot of truth. And we gotta find that tension again. They were gonna learn the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine at the king's table. We just, this is coincidence, but wow, what a spiritual moment. We just celebrated communion together. Do you see this is counterfeit communion? They are going to share bread and wine at the king's table because this counterfeit king will offer you, offer you all kinds of stuff. And yet the one true king would give of himself, pour his own body, bruise his body, pour his blood to have true communion with that kind of king. That's a real king counterfeit they were to be trained for three years hello college they're going into college they're going into babylon u babylon university sikkim dagon or whatever and after that they were to enter the king's service so they had to brainwash them they had to indoctrinate them they had to get them eating what we want you to eat drink what you wanted to drink read what we tell you to read sing what we tell you to sing they want to train us up. And it starts so young. That's why you have to be at least aware and cautious with the drip, 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 drip of anything in your home. Anything. Because not only will the kingdom of Babylon want to rule you and train you, but the kingdom of Babylon, yeah, the food is going to tempt you. This is good wine in the king's house. This is good fatty food in the king's house. I mean, these guys have been growing up eating hummus and veggie sticks, and they got like piles of zebra cakes and whatnot. I mean, they got red, I mean, they got steak, medium rare, none of this well done stuff. Like, they got goods, goods. This ain't the Golden Corral at like, you know, in between lunch and dinner. This is Ruth Chris, baby, on steroids. And the kingdom of Babylon wants to tempt you, but not only tempt you with all of these things, but also wants to rename you. I mean, the parallels are just shocking here. Look, look, look what happens. Among those were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel and his three amigos. Can I tell you the importance of community? You'll see it in this story. This is why we do groups. That's why we invite you to starting point. Take a step into connecting at the church. It's a big church. We want to make it smaller by getting in community. Daniel and these other three Hebrew children, they needed each other at different times. We need each other. You may just be playing bunko, but I want you to know that there's something about community. So the chief official gave them new names. For Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sound familiar? Fiery furnace? We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Remember, whatever Satan creates, whatever God creates, Satan wants to counterfeit. So look, Daniel, I'll buzz through these. His name means in Hebrew, God is my judge, but Belteshazzar means lady, protect the king. They are completely ripping out his identity. They're even calling him a different gender. Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious. Oh, I see God as a gracious God. Nope, your name's Shadrach. I'm afraid of lower G God. It was really the God of Venus is what his name is connected to. Michelle, who is what God is? Michelle, like I, I, I am um, a child of God basically is what that's translated to. But Meshach is like, I am despised and shameful before God. How much of this culture wants to rename your story with shame and condemnation that you were never meant to carry? And that's 2024. Azariah, Yahweh has helped. Oh, where does my help come from? Abednego, I am a servant of Nebo. That's where my help comes from. You're not a servant of that God. You're a servant of this God. This is why identity is a big deal. Yet what will be in this tension of this culture is Satan will want to counterfeit truth and he'll want to tell everybody, all of, all of people that are counter-biblical, They'll want, what happens is, is we want to name this as like, if you, if you stand up and speak out about identity stuff and gender and male and female, I mean, I would never have imagined, neither would have you, that if I were to give a controversial statement today, that it wouldn't be marriage is between one man and one woman for life. But in this culture, the statement marriage is for one man and one woman for life. That's a, that's a controversial statement. It also was controversial back in the day because the church had a struggle how to figure out grace and truth with divorce. And so the for life thing, okay, we, we, we kind of acquiesce to that. Stuff happens. Marriage is between one man and one woman that becomes more challenging. And then even marriage, what is, what is even the importance of marriage anymore? I mean, there, there, there are those that have had a bad experience in marriage and so culture has said, don't ever do that again. Live like you're married, but don't be married. And that's, that's counterfeit, everybody. It's counterfeit. And what I wanna do is not, is not topple us. It's help us navigate the tensions of, okay, God, if we're gonna truly live the way you've called us to live in this culture, how do we follow your way and not a counterfeit way that the enemy would love to subtly send your way? <laughs> I hope I recorded that at some point because I'm gonna repeat it next week. There's people groups here in Babylon as we wrap up today. Watch, write them down. There's godly believers in Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, godly believers. There's also ungodly Babylonians that are just living the way they normally live. They don't even know the one true God. They've never even been introduced to the one true God. They're just gonna live the way they've always known to live. It's ungodly Babylonians. Christians, stop expecting ungodly Babylonians to act like godly believers. It's not your job to mitigate their emotions and mitigate their actions. That's Jesus' job to transform them from the inside out, but we are to be witnesses in that area. But here's the problem, the tension that I wanna kind of leave us with today is in the middle of all this, a big old tension is the confused. 
It's the confused of us. Here's what the, write it down. It's the confused is this. It's believers living like Babylonians. It's mom and dad that are believers, but are raising their kids in Babylon in Babylonian ways, maybe not even aware. I didn't even know that we should talk about this. I didn't even know that there's a sexual ethic all the way from Genesis to Revelation on what sex is even for and how, it, what it's, what it, what, how God designed it, not just culture. And I wanna help us that if you are in the confused, <laughs> I wanna help us, I don't wanna hurt you, I wanna help you. I want this church to be a bastion for the ungodly and for the godly and for the confused. I want us to be a safe place people can find the real Jesus and follow the real Jesus. Because here's the deal, if you're a Christ follower, again, dipping your toe in the water, You've not invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You don't have to do anything with this. Just like, you know, listen, take a good nap, and we'll see you next Sunday maybe. But if you're a Christ follower, you don't get to opt out. Here's what I want to say to us in this Babylonian culture. Oh, Jesus, come quickly, Lord, right? Oh, Lord, help us. He has come. He's come in the form of spirit-empowered believers. Until he truly returns and establishes his kingdom, he has sent you. The king himself has sent you into Babylon. And when Jesus ascends into heaven after being dead and buried and resurrected and on the earth for 40 days, his last promise is wait for the Holy Spirit because you're gonna be witnesses boldly proclaiming my truth in Babylonian culture all over from where you are to way across the other side of the world. Basically, he's saying you got to communicate the good news of Christ with clarity into a chaos and confused culture. That's what Pentecost is all about, really, the day of Pentecost. So innocent people are sometimes going to suffer when it comes to this. Daniel was innocent. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, innocent. And they suffered. Don't think that being a Christian all of a sudden gives you this cone of protection some of the fastest ways the message of Jesus expands is through persecution. The church of America needs to get more and more comfortable with persecution. The church in China, they got no problem. I mean, we're freaking out if the AC is wrong. I got China Christians calling me up saying, oh, oh, I feel so bad. Wait, wait, you, you actually get to go to church in public? The king has sent us not to be of this world, but in this world and to see him transform this world. The good news is the king will strengthen you in this. And this is what happens. Daniel resolved he wasn't gonna defile himself with the king's food, at the king's table, with the king's wine and the king's bread. And he asked, do you see the tension? He didn't demand. I'm a Christian. Now there's different culture here. We the people is different in America than Babylon, castrated eunuchs in Babylon. We have some rights and freedoms that they didn't have. But look how he navigated a lack of freedom. He didn't just demand it or run away. He asked the chief official permission not to defile himself in that way. Hmm. In other words, he was a witness in his workplace, even though his workplace was Babylon. 
You are called to be a witness in your workplace. You are complaining about how crazy, stupid the culture is in your work. Time to be salt and light, dude. I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, this chief servant says, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse? What an assumption. We think that if we don't acquiesce to this culture's demand, that we're gonna be weaker Christians, weaker people. We're gonna lose all of our stuff. And yet God has a plan. Stay with me, baby. And I'll give you the strength you need when you need it. What a horrible assumption that if we don't acquiesce to culture, that we'll be weaker than culture. He's the one that says, blessed are those that, hum that are humble. They inherit the earth. Daniel Preston, please test your servant for 10 days. 10 days, 10, just 10, 10, 10 days. I can't lose six ounces in 10 days. But in 10 days, let me just drink what I'm drinking. You drink what you're drinking. We'll see. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. We have stuff that's unseen, but also Christians, it's time to be seen. It's time to be seen as different. Not it's time to be seen as weird. It's time to be seen as different. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. What happens in those 10 days? At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. Oh, that's my 2024 scripture. Hallelujah. Fatter in flesh. Some of you have been trying to lose that flesh. I'm just saying, take Daniel 1, 15 as your guide to be fatter in the flesh in 2024. They were, in other words, they were stronger than all the other youth who ate the king's food. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. All kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to King Nebuchadnezzar and the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel. When I talk about politics, sometimes you might think that I'm sounding like I would say step away from it. They were right in the middle of it. They were implanted in it to be salt and light in a perverse and Babylonian culture. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians. 10 days, 10 times better than all the magicians and chanters in his whole kingdom. What you have in the story of Jesus, I wanna promise you, is not 10 times better. It is infinitely better than anything this world could ever offer you, your family, your marriage, your children, your grandchildren, your legacy. I'm telling you, Jesus is always the better answer to every single situation. And do you know what happens? Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. What does that mean? Kings will come and go. Presidents will come and go. But the king will sustain you. He'll sustain you. Gee, you're, you're holding that. Let, let go of the sustain pedal and just play the one key. Just, just one key, let it go. Just go. Yep. Now push the sustain pedal and then hold it. And let that sustain out. Some of you are relying on moments with God. And so it's Sunday to Sunday. What God wants to do is have such an encounter with you that he sustains every day of your life. Even in Babylonian culture. So as we end today, who am I in the story? <laughs> I want to, well, I'll tell you who I want to be. I want to be Daniel. Don't you? 
truth is, you ain't Daniel. Just the way that Babylon was a shadow of culture, Daniel is a shadow of not you. Daniel's a shadow of Jesus. Royalty, who became ultimate servant. Jesus and Daniel did both. Both of them left comfort into a hostile culture. Both of them were wrongly accused of things. Both of them had close friends around them to sustain them when the fire got hot. Both of them were thrown into a pit covered with a stone. Both of them escaped alive and unharmed. Both of them are still alive. And Daniel is still serving the one true king. So who are we? You and I are born a slave into Babylon. It's where we are. It's a fallen nature. It's a fallen world. We are born as a slave. But the good news is, write it down. I can be adopted into Christ's family. You're a son and daughter of the king if you want to be. But that's another tension. You can have it your way or you can surrender to his way. Now I want you to think about your kids, your future grandkids. I want you to think about your marriage. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about what you know and what nobody else knows. And I want you to place that before God as an offering today. Let's pray. All locations, bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, help us. We need your divine guidance. In these next few weeks, Lord, I pray that we would learn, grow, not just practically, but supernaturally, and not just supernaturally, but strategically to find healthy balance in a culture of extremes, to find you as the one who guides, the one who lifts us up as we lean not, but as we yield to you, you make our path straight. We give you our lives now and our families and our marriages and our kids and our future and Lord, will you help us in this culture to get better, to be good intention? We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Everybody said, Amen.